everybody, welcome back to our final 2020 edition of Finding Our Way. This is our Southridge member podcast, helping all of us get the inside scoops on the life around our church. And uh, having just completed this four week adventure that we call Hope Lives and uh, specifically focusing on the subject of advocacy, uh, we wanted to hear a story from uh, kind of an emerging gen leader in our community who's been uh, taking some steps in this direction. And so I'm really pleased to introduce everyone to Sophia Kraus. Sophia, say hi to everybody. Hi. Um, thanks so much for being here. And uh, for starters, just help us get to know you a little bit. Give us a little bit about your background, your family background, school and all that kind of stuff and what you like to do for fun. Um. So I'm from St. Catharines. My family's lived here as long as I have. I'm currently attending Eden. I'm in grade 11. I've been full online this year with COVID, which has definitely been really strange. Um, what do I like to do for fun? I love to play guitar and sing. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Cool. So in the, uh, in the school options of in-class or online, you elected for fully online? I did, yeah. And how's think- that been working for you? It's been really difficult. Um, I chose it because I thought that it would be best for my mental health in my uh, relationship with COVID anxiety. Um, Turned out to be really hard to keep up with work, but yeah, I guess we'll see how it goes in the new year. I've heard that for many, that that online learning and even being alone, right? It's it's, Mm -hmm. it's tough to be able to not be around your friends and stuff, but I I get you're, you're kind of picking your poison of, do I want to live with the anxiety of, of catching COVID or the challenge mm-hmm. of studying online. So um, your family has been around Southridge for quite some time. So do you want to talk about your relationship with the church at all? Uh, sure. So my dad just told me this morning, he's been attending Southridge or Fairview Louth. They started going in 1979. Um, I've been going to Southridge my whole life. I've always been at the church. So not being there since March with COVID has been very weird because it was just such a staple in my routine growing up. Yeah. Even not being around the building is, is weird. I've seen a few people uh, in the last number of months, whether they come for a group or they come to pick up jam or they're going to drop off their special Southridge special delivery, they'll take a walk through the auditorium and you can see it kind of affect them emotionally Mm -hmm. because this has been such a, kind of a staple, such a significant piece of their lives that for the last nine months has been, you know, completely vaporized. So, so Mm -hmm. weird, but yeah, your family has a long heritage. Uh, Your grandparents uh, were charter founding members and your dad had had been part of it since the day that it opened its doors. And Mm -hmm. like you said, you've been part of it all your life, which is cool. So, so here we go. Want to talk about your journey of advocacy and uh, just for starters, can you remember back to the time in your life, the season or whatever it was, when you first started developing awareness or a heart for advocacy? Kind of tell us what was happening. Um, I think the first time, I don't know how legitimate this might be, but I think it's probably around seven. And I was really annoyed by how quickly people were driving down our street. Um, Cause we live on a small street. There were a lot of young kids. There was a daycare. Um, so I demanded that my mother, who I thought was in charge of the city, uh, should put up slow watch for children signs. And when I found out that she couldn't do that, 
I uh, dressed up in a police officer costume and would stand with a sign and yell at cars who were driving too quickly, <laughs> uh, which is quite a, a little kid thing. Uh, but I think that in the past couple of years, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, especially this past March with the murder of George Floyd, really kind of reinvigorated my desire to become more active and involved in my community. And what is it in those situations, whether it's people driving too fast down your street or, you know, I can't breathe the experience of George Floyd that stirs up in your what, what what's going on in your insides in those in those moments? I think that just kind of this gut reaction of there's something wrong here and I need to do something. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to do something. Um, and so that just kind of initial reaction. Sometimes it doesn't go anywhere, um, which can be really frustrating. But I think that just acknowledging that sense of I need to do something, maybe I can actually do something, and trying to take those steps forward has been really important learning curve for me. Hmm. When uh, thinking back to that experience, dressing up as the cop uh, on your street, which I love that story. That's fantastic. Um, At what point did you start to ask yourself, like, why am I the only one on the street dressed up like a cop? Why, why, why am I caring about these things? And it doesn't seem like other people care about these things. Oh, well, I don't know. I have to th- really think back for using the police officer example. Um, but I don't know. I think I don't, I never wanted to create a kind of like, I'm not like other people. I need to do something. Only I can do something like hero complex. Um, but I don't know. I think I've always, had this sense of like, if nobody cares, then nobody cares. Like if no one's going to do something, then I might as well. Um, So I think that that kind of like individual complex of needing to save the day has been kind of negative, but it's also helped me to kind of realize that I can actually make a difference if I set my mind to it. And if I look Mm -hmm. for people that can actually work with me to help me and I can help others. It's a really interesting default, isn't it? When, you know, for many of us in so many issues in society, we have a, a someone else will take care mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. But but all of a sudden the gear shifts and you start to do the math of, I'll call it, if not me, then who? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like whether it's on your street or in other experiences you ever like, that that somehow that 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 gear has shifted for you, where now you start to, in a growing way, view different situations in a if not me then who kind of a way where it sounds like you're not actually caring about why other people aren't caring about this you're just asking if not me then who's going to care about this Mm. Hmm. yeah um i'm wondering even you know when you talk about the, the the escalation of some of those feelings uh around george floyd and the the reemergence of black lives matter this summer um like, how did you initially process those feelings, and how 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 did they how did they channel into feelings of or a sense of advocacy? Mm-hmm. I think at first I was really angry with myself that I had never kind of taken these issues to heart or actually sat down to learn, or I was just kind of blissfully ignorant, which is a side effect of my privilege. Um, So I was really disappointed and angry with myself. And I basically just came to this 
again, the realization of like, okay, something's wrong. What can I do? Um, I don't really want to sound like a broken record, but um, it's just like, okay, something's wrong. I haven't been paying attention. Now I need to do 4,000 things to make it right this instant, Um, which is not a great approach. But I think it was that feeling of anger on behalf of the injustice going on in the world, as well as anger with myself, um, that really kind of stemmed me to take steps forward. I, I love that reaction, Sophie. And I hope that those of us listening can really camp out on this for a moment, that the, the anger about the injustice didn't get deflected to, oh, this bad world or, oh, you know, society's fault. You actually internalized it personally. And it feels like out of that personal internalization came the sense of personal responsibility. Is that what mm-hmm. I'm hearing? Yeah. Because I feel like for those of us listening, we may be tempted to say, yeah, we understand there are injustices. Yeah, you know, we saw the cop basically suffocating George Floyd and, you know, we didn't we didn't think that it was a, 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 a good thing either. We were disgusted by it and, and, and thought it was horrific. Um, but we didn't do anything about it because we thought that's, that's someone else's problem. And, and as a systemic issue, that's someone else's problem. It doesn't affect us. But only when you can feel the personal really conviction, do you start to feel the personal responsibility? And I just, I, 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 I applaud you even for starting there and realizing, no, this actually is in part my responsibility that at some level I've been neglecting because what we often teach around Southridge is that the way God made us from Gen- from Genesis chapter one is to have a responsibility for the condition of the world. And part of what we see in the person being redeemed by Jesus is a reclamation of that sense of personal responsibility. So anyways, good on you for, for processing that at a personal level and not allowing the buck to pass to someone else or to society as a whole. That's really encouraging. Um, Thank you. I'm thinking about now some of your first steps of advocacy, and I want to kind of walk people into your story to talk about what's happened and, 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 you know, what are some of the first steps that you took? Um, I think in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, the first step that I took that wasn't like sharing information on my Instagram story uh, was I attended a protest in Niagara Falls. And I think that that was the first moment when I felt like there were people that cared because I think they were predicting numbers for that protest to be maybe 500 and there were thousands of people that showed up. Um, And it was just a really incredible experience. So I think that that kind of kick-started like the gears turning in my head, like, okay, people care. You've started, you've gone to a protest, don't stop. Like you've shown up, you've shown people that you care. Now you actually have to take steps to continue Hmm. and keep this momentum going. And how did that feel? How did that feel showing up, not sure who else was going to care and realizing I'm not the only one who cares. Other people care and they're now counting on me to keep caring. I think it felt like a big responsibility that I didn't need to feel like it was a responsibility, if that makes sense. Um, I think it kind of gave me a bit of a savior complex. Hmm. Um, But I think just knowing that people were listening and people were showing up kind of like planted this idea in my head and a friend of mine said that, okay, maybe we can do something with this. Maybe this can actually happen. 
um, and we can make a change. Did you, from those moments, feeling a little bit of that savior complex, did you, did you find that you've had to shed that? I think I definitely did. Um, I had been doing, I still am doing a lot of reading about the white savior complex and this idea that like white people need to save the day. And it's this trope that you see in movies and that kind of stuff. And so the last thing that I wanted was to think, have myself or other people feel like I was trying to save the day with my privilege, um, which was a lot of mental gymnastics to get around to actually get to the advocacy part. Um, but I think just like being in that environment at the protest, having conversations with people, having difficult conversations with people really just like planted the seed that like, okay, like take a deep breath. You don't have to change the world, but you know that you have to do something, whatever it is. What was, what was the most difficult about those conversations? What was hard showing up at that protest? Probably acknowledging my privilege that I had hmm. so easily ignored for pretty much all of my life. Hmm. And would you say that that deeper, fuller awareness of your privilege was the primary motivator to then to want to engage in advocacy to a greater degree coming out of that? I think so. I think a part of it was that I've always wanted, like, you know, peace on earth, goodwill. Um, so I always kind of had an inclination towards social justice. But then once these injustices that were occurring on like a weekly or daily basis, especially in the States and even in Canada, um, once that those rose to the surface and then uh, my privilege, actually, I started acknowledging it. Once those two came together, I realized just how connected they were and how important it is for me to solve, uh, not solve, but to like read into both issues at the same time. So say that again for me. What were the two ingredients that had to merge together for you to click? Injustices that felt out of my reach and out of my control and how my own uh, privilege and implicit bias contributed to them. Hmm. I hope that our hearers are, are, are tracking with that because that really is the key that I think God wants to unlock in all of us is an awareness just of the degree of injustice that's happening and the degree to which we're complicit in it for those of us of, of privilege, whether our implicit biases allow us to see that or protect us from that. That's, mm -hmm. that's huge. So again, good on you, Sophia, for, for facing that. And I mean, that's hard work to, like you said, do the mental gymnastics around that. Um, you, you come out of an experience like that. And you mentioned this friend of yours who it sounds like is sharing in this heart for advocacy, but that then led to a new addition, uh, a new initiative with you and this friend of yours. Can you talk about what happened next? Um, sure. So like I've said too many times already, um, it's like this idea of like, there's something that we need to do. We don't know what it is, but we're going to do it. Um, so my friend and I said, okay, we have this idea. Like, I think we can make this work. We don't know what it's going to be yet. And this really incredible opportunity came along where we got to participate in a youth leadership course that was hosted by some students in the GTA. And you had a six-week passion project that you developed. So you learned leadership skills while working on this project. So Kanisha, my friend's name is Kanisha. And I went, okay, this is great. Let's do something. So we ended up creating this online platform called Generation Now, 
which aims to encourage student engagement and advocacy in today's sociopolitical landscape. Um, so we worked on that for six weeks and we thought it would just be over and done with, but it kind of took off afterwards. So on this website, which, I mean, what a cool, you talk about a passion project, what a great school, you know, leadership development assignment. Amazing. Um, this website, generation it's generationnow.com or generationnow.ca? Uh, we are generationnow.org. We are generationnow.org. Just if, if people are listening to the podcast, they want to check it out. We are generationnow.org. And at this point, what kinds of advocacy does it encourage? So we have three pillars that kind of shape our, our advocacy, and that is human rights and health, the environment, and the world around us. So any uh, resources or information or like, uh, yeah, that we supply kind of falls onto those three categories. And it kind of helps you to funnel like what you're passionate about, what issues you want to approach. And like we do our best to provide resources to help you with that. And so in this website that's resourcing based on these three pillars, uh, how is that practically facilitating people's or specifically young people's engagement in advocacy? If I'm a young person, I go to this website and I gain awareness or how does it, how does it drive me into advocacy? So we really try to create a sense of community between uh, Kanisha and myself and our team and those who follow us or engage with our platform. We try to provide like petitions, resources, next steps. Uh, we recently launched a campaign to try and end menstrual inequality and period poverty in uh, the District School Board of Niagara. So one of our team members uh, created a letter that you could send to your principal outlining what menstrual inequality is and some steps that your school could take to try and solve that by providing free period products and that sort of stuff. Um, so that was a really cool initiative that we started. Um, so yeah, we really just try to supply accurate, well-researched information as well as next steps to take your slacktivism into actual real-world action. So an example like that, Sophia, how, how many how many schools would have students who activated some degree of advocacy through that one initiative on, on menstrual inequality? Honestly, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Okay. Um, I can use myself as an example. I emailed my teacher. I sent her this letter that we had put together. Um, and I found out that the DSBN had actually been working towards this goal of ending period poverty. Uh, which was really amazing. So I had the opportunity to work with my principal on kind of taking steps within Eden to help. Um, and I know that several of my team members as well as my friends have sent off letters, but I unfortunately can't give you an actual number. Okay, okay. Um, I'm just trying to help those of us listening understand the process of I go to website, I gain information, but I, I, I experience a degree of community there and can actually practically become part of things that together in this community I'm a part of can give me something to do. So there is a whole process uh, and at some level of a movement happening uh, on some of these various issues. It's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thinking, you know, you're not even 18 years old, I believe. Is that true? Is that true? Yeah, I'm 16. Right. I was going to say you're not, you're not even 18. Um, so, you know, you and Kanisha, what, what are you hoping that the current website becomes? Like, where's this thing headed? Um, in all honesty, we're kind of figuring it out as we go. I think that our 
not really end goal, but our goal for the coming months or years, whatever it takes, is to kind of continue to grow this community of leaders. And we want to host like webinars and online events that can really bring people together in a learning environment, in a community of friendship, um, to really just like share in our passions and our desire to implement social change. And as issues arise that you or Kanisha or others become aware of, you'll provide that into the funnel of the website and, you know, through the three pillars and spin off further and further action and advocacy because of that. That is the hope. That is the hope. Um, So cool to think about already. Uh, What I'm wondering is like, so how did these now early experiences of advocacy, I mean, it's been less than a year since uh, the death of George Floyd. So this is all kind of mushrooming pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, how are these experiences like shaping even where your life is headed? Um, I think that it's definitely like broadening my horizons of things that I can pursue uh, in terms of like education or career. Um, like I said before, I've always been really passionate about social justice. So I have plans to major in political science um, to try and use my passion for social justice and marry it with my new found passion of like hosting an organization. Um, so I think that it's really helped me to kind of pin down what I'm passionate about and what's important to me and what I want to have in my life going forward. I wondered about that. I'm like, what, what, how do you even supplement this with, with more formal education? Do you need <laughs> web design training or you know, social justice poli sci training or both? <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. Um, as you're starting to think ahead, are there emerging or forming like advocacy goals that you're starting to have for your life? Um, over the past couple of years, I've really been uh, trying to learn more about uh, Indigenous rights and reconciliation in Canada. And that's been something that's really been at the forefront of my mind ever since I learned about it in school and all of the injustices that Indigenous peoples on Turtle Island have faced since uh, colonists settled here. So I think that that's something that I might want to pursue, like First Nations, the Inuit reconciliation or something within the federal government. Um, so I don't know. I think I just want to help as many people as I can, which is a lofty goal. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm trying to leave my opportunities open and seeing where Jen now takes me, seeing where school takes me and just kind of figuring it out as I go. Fantastic. Um, Knowing that uh, not too many, this may shock you, Sophia, but not too many of our listeners are 16. Uh, So I guess my curiosity for some of us has to do with the role of your parents in all this. Like, have they been asleep have you been doing this in your bedroom, you know, without their knowledge or uh, what, what's been their role in supporting and nurturing and even in, in your upbringing, you know, uh, kind of stimulating your, your journey of advocacy? Um, my parents have played a huge role in my advocacy. They have been paying attention. Um, they've been really supportive, especially of Gen Now. Um, they helped to launch our website with funding the domain. Um, and they've just really been encouraging if ever I'm feeling down or unmotivated or getting in the slump of like what I'm doing doesn't matter. They're always there to help me out. Um, and I think throughout my entire life, they've always 
in trying to lead good examples of what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to love one another. Um, so they've, they're incredible. They've played a huge role in everything I've accomplished to this day. If, if there are parents listening, you know, of teenagers or of kids who are soon to become teenagers, what would your encouragement be to those parents as they have an eye on their kids in raising, you know, people who develop hearts of advocacy and compassion and justice? It's mm-hmm. a very difficult question. Um, just speaking as a teenager, it's really hard to raise a teenager. I definitely sympathized with all parents <laughs> who had to raise them. Um, but honestly, I think just listening to your kids, even if they don't want to talk to you, because I'm sure everyone has been there in some way, shape, or form. But I think that if you see that your child has a passion or something that they want to pursue, whether it's advocacy or a career path, whatever it is, just listen to them and support them um, and just remind them that you will be there for them and that you love them no matter what they do, no matter how hard it may be. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, Thinking about our listeners, Sophia, like we've been learning this past month in our Hope Lives series, there's a whole journey into a lifestyle of advocacy. I even appreciated the way that, that Nate reframed it as accompaniment. And mm-hmm. I know that the people listening are going to represent being in a vast diversity of places in our advocacy journey. So first things first, what, what would you like to say to those listening to encourage people just to develop a heart of advocacy in the first place? I think that if you see something that you believe needs change or reform and you're seeing that that change is not happening, you have the power to make that change. You have a voice and your opinions matter and are valuable. So if you see something that you think needs to be changed, you have the power to take steps to get it changed. I hope people are hearing that because, you know, as a 16-year-old, you shifted from it's someone else's problem to if not me, then who? And, uh, you know, you're restating that now to say, hey, this, 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 this only happens when every single one of us lives with our own degree of personal responsibility. And I, I just, I, I, I really appreciate you modeling that for us. Um for, for someone who is tracking with this and, you know, maybe they've been inspired in our Hope Live series or, or otherwise, but are eager now to jump into a lifestyle of advocacy, where would you encourage them to start? What kind of first steps should they take? Do your research. Um, I really can't stress that enough. Um, researching what you're passionate about, researching an issue that you've seen that you want to resolve or you want to see resolved. Um, learning reading, Googling things, um, really finding resources and then taking those resources and doing the work. Um, I read a quote not too long ago that said, reading anti-racism books doesn't make you an anti-racist, which really stuck with me because sometimes I fall into that trap of reading and researching, but then not taking steps to be actively anti-racist or actively fill in the blank. So do your research, do the work and try to find people or organizations or projects that can support you and that you can support in pursuing your goal. If there's anyone listening who 
finds themselves like hesitant or on the fence. They're not sure if they want to. They're not sure if they can. What would you say to kind of push them over the edge, nudge them over the edge when it comes to engaging in a lifestyle of advocacy? Um, If I'm being honest, it's not always easy. Um, And advocacy shouldn't be easy because then there would be a lot less to advocate about. But like I said earlier, your voice is important and it deserves to be heard. Um, So if you see something that's wrong, say something, do something. Um, But if you start to make these small manageable changes in your own life, like if you're striving for climate, uh, if you start trying to revert climate change or you're worried about climate change, try uh, taking shorter showers or switching to more sustainable products or clothing, taking these small steps within your own life, which will slowly build up to larger, more systemic change. Um, And that can make advocacy feel a lot less daunting, a little more manageable. I don't know if it'll make it easier, but it'll, if you just start small, things will start working up faster than you may think. Hmm. That's a great word. Um, I'm thinking, Sophia, about our recent Hope Lives series. We spent four weeks kind of focusing, journeying through this lifestyle of advocacy. In that experience, uh, was there anything that you really appreciated or what, 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 what would you have tracked with the most through that journey? Um, definitely the analogy that you use that I think Tim Arnold uses as well, which is Uh, If a person's drowning, you can help them out of the river. But if you don't make that systemic change, upstream people are going to keep floating down the river. So I think that really shifting your focus in advocacy to making systemic change at the root of the problem, that has really stuck with me throughout the Mm -hmm. series. Well, that's great. Listen, you've been an absolute delight to talk to. And I so appreciate you giving us some time today uh, just to share your journey with us. I want to give you the final shot and just provide any encouragements or challenges that you'd like to, to all of our members listening when it comes to all of us personally and us as a church, even collectively growing in our lifestyle of advocacy. What do you want to say? I think there's no time like the present. Like I said before, if you see something that you think is wrong, don't hesitate to try and change it Um, and try to challenge your biases and your privileges and how your lifestyle and who you are and how you were brought up can impact your advocacy, can impact your relationships, um, and your voice deserves to be heard. So if you have something to say, go ahead and say it. We are generationnow.org, everybody. Sounds a lot like Jesus' uh, encouragement when his ministry started. He said, the time is now, the kingdom of God is among us. So good on you, Sophia. We're proud of you and love you. Uh, We're going to be cheering you on and praying for you. If you want to check out our website and uh, get more involved, do that. But uh, what an encouraging story as we wrap up our year and we wrap up the the season of Hope Lives that we've been in. We're thrilled to see where God takes you in 2021 and hope that we can talk to you again in a forum like this and uh, hear some really cool updates. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Gang, thanks for tracking with us again today and for this year. We look forward to launching into a brand new year and into what will next week be our 100th podcast here as we continue as a church community finding our way together. Take care, everyone. Happy New Year. 